Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who are making content weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Hello and happy Friday to everybody. It is the last day for the play-in tournament, which in today's episode we'll be previewing the last couple of games for this play-in tournament, which will basically be the games where the winners of the 9th and 10th seed game will go face off the losers of the 8th and 7th seed game. And before we go into that, we have to, of course, look at how did we get here and what happened on Tuesday and Wednesday, because this play-in tournament definitely needs its own storyboard to keep track of it. So let's start off with Tuesday right now for the games between the 8th and 7th seed. To start off, we had Brooklyn in the Barclays Center hosting off the Cleveland Cavaliers for the first game of the play-in tournament. And Brooklyn ended up winning that one by 7, but beginning of the game, it was a totally different story than what it looks like on paper. Brooklyn was phenomenal offensively. Their ball movement, as they've been saying before in other episodes of the podcast, has been improving as their game has gone together with their bench, as well as guys coming back from injury. So they ended up scoring about 40 points alone in the first quarter of that game. And then out of nowhere, we have this miraculous spectacular of just two guys who are automatically perfect in the first half between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant which Irving ended up having 34 points of a 12 and 15 shooting from the field, let alone got a double-double with 12 assists. And then, of course, Kevin Durant, who is the Grim Reaper, Slim Reaper, whatever you want to call it, he was automatic. He went 9-16 and 16 on the floor and got himself 25 points there. And believe it or not, even though these two guys are probably the main options on offense and the only guys that really got 40 minutes a game, Bruce Brown ended up getting himself 40 minutes and 24 seconds of gameplay today on Tuesday. And that was in response to an 18-point performance out of him on Tuesday over the Cleveland Cavaliers. However, during that game, Cleveland slowly scrapped back. They ended up leading every single quarter in points after the first quarter. And that was thanks to Rajon Rondo coming in the game and showing him a little bit more defense as Karis LeVert was struggling through that out that game, only having 12 points and was 4-12 and 12 from the field after only playing 40 minutes, which I have to say, if Karis LeVert continues that, I don't feel like Cleveland has a good chance to make the playoffs. Guaranteed, because Karis LeVert is a huge part of that backcourt. He definitely needs to be there to support Garland. And speaking of Garland, he had a phenomenal game against Brooklyn. I mean, yeah, sure, he went 13 and 20 from the field, but 34 points in that one. He was definitely hot beyond the perimeter, was making shots for almost like 35 yards away. It was something incredible to watch out of him. He's been having all-star caliber season so far this year, and it continues throughout the play-in. So I expect him to be a big part tonight in his game, but it wasn't enough on Tuesday night as Cleveland did lose that one by seven against Brooklyn. And then the game after that, an absolute atmosphere built in for the playoffs in Minnesota. Minnesota had guys standing up the entire time. The action on the court was going back and forth. A lot of fouls, really aggressive game. There was even a fan who was there for a protest, put Elmer's glue on the floor, which I thought was insane because out of anything, why Elmer's glue? If you're going to stick your hand onto the floor at a protest, you got to use Gorilla Glue. You got to use a super tape or whatever you can find. Elmer's is something like, you know, you get a little baby cut scissors and you do your little art project for kindergarten. You know what I mean? I mean, so it was a lot of action on the court there. But to kind of explain it, it was a high, intense game. 
built for the playoffs. And I even saw Mike Breen and Kevin Harlan later on call it as it is, that these plans are basically should be called the playoffs. And I know that's going to be a discussion in a later on future seasons, but it's exactly what it should be because this is a, technically the postseason. But that game ended up with Minnesota winning over the Los Angeles Clippers 109-104. Anthony Edwards, huge part in that win. The kid out of Georgia in his second year scoring 30 points in that play-in. And then after him comes D'Angelo Russell. D'Lo, 29 points, was 10-18 and 18 from the field, and was really a huge part in this game because Carl Anthony Towns was nowhere to be found. Carl Anthony Towns actually fouled out early because, as I did say before, this was a more or less in aggressive and intense game and guys were picking up fouls left to right in that first half but Carly Anthony Towns not only was he picking up fouls but he was also not doing very well tonight at the shooting rank I mean 11 points as I said before he only got five rebounds and three assists so it wasn't doing much for the team there but crazy enough from the field three and eleven three and eleven that's twenty seven point three percent from field goal that's insane coming off of Carl Anthony Towns. He was usually accurate as a big man. So definitely was a game that Carl Anthony Towns would definitely regret. However, Minnesota still makes their way into the playoffs as the seventh seed as they will take on the future second seed in the Memphis Grizzlies. And also another side of issues coming from Minnesota, Patrick Beverly. Obviously a name that all NBA fans should know, at least in the past three years. Aggressive ball handler, aggressive guy in defense, and aggressive-minded guy where his... I mean, I don't know if it's an ego or just a competition lifestyle, but he is just aggressive. That's the only way you can really describe him. From his last minutes as a Clipper, literally pushing Chris Paul onto the floor by grabbing his spine, to now where he goes into the play, and then after the game, he goes into the locker room on IG Live and says... You know, blank this, blank that, you know, things I can't really say on this podcast. But he basically cusses out the weak-ass Clippers team that it is. So, very big choice of words coming out of Patrick Beverly, especially coming from his former team. But then again, you know, there's a lot of players out there who have that mindset that if you're not going to pay me, then you don't want me. So, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to show you why you should have paid me. And he definitely did that. I mean, this is probably the best example of that in this playing game. As they send the Clippers to play a home game to see if they can possibly survive out against those winners of that ninth and 10th seed in the Western Conference, which now will be going into on to Wednesday night games, which was that ninth versus 10th seed for the play in tournament. And first, we're going to go, of course, to the Eastern Conference with the Atlanta Hawks, who hosted the Charlotte Hornets, which I have to say was pretty weird to see that game and it was also a weird way that it even started apparently the charlotte hornets were stopped their team bus stopped basically on these train tracks the train kept on going non-stop and they were going to be late for the routine and there's teams out there in the nba that have a specific routine and a kind of a superstition to it so they decided not to wait for this train not for the wait for this bus to go through all the atlanta traffic that they were having issues prior to the game but they decided to walk to the stadium that's right. They decided to walk to the stadium with all, everything that they had from the bus on their backs, and they were able to perform on that game. However, I mean, who knows if they stayed on that bus? They might have been a little bit late. I know there was a bunch of traffic going on in the Atlanta area. So when you first saw that game, and if you didn't see a lot of fans in there, trust me, that's not because the Atlanta fans don't care about those Hawks. It's just because, you know, it was hard 
it was hard just getting downtown. Definitely a weird way to start off the game. But weird enough, I mean, the way it started on the court, too, because both, you know, the big uh, backcourt guards that they have over there for both of those teams in Charlotte and Atlanta, Trey Young was... 50-50 in this game. He actually picked up his pace in the second half, but he went 1-7 from three-point range. And then LaMelo Ball, even though he got 26 points, I mean, majority of his scoring came from the second half. And not even that. He was 7-25 from field goal. Or in other words, the majority of his points came from the line. So it was a really off game for both of those teams, superstars. However, still, it was all about the team and what they can do moving the ball. Atlanta looked phenomenal out there. I think Gallinari, who's going to be starting and taking the place of John Collins, will be a huge part of Atlanta as they try to keep on going to make it to the playoffs. That's an eighth seed. Gallinari ended up, well, I mean, 7-12 and from the field and had 18 points overall in that game. He looked absolutely solid. Absolutely solid. You might even say he looked better than Gallinari. My apologies. looked even better as John Collins on the Atlanta offense. Just depends how they run it. Terry Rozier for Charlotte, which I believe that LaMelo Ball and Rozier is a really great backcourt duo, which I think to give them time, they'll be one of the best in the NBA. But Rozier did pretty, unfortunately, he didn't really do all that great. He went 8-22 from field goal, still ended off having 21 points. But at the same time, 8-22, it's not very great. And I think that one of the most ironic things about it is that the Charlotte Hornets last year ended up putting up the uh, score of their last playing game that they had last year against the Indiana Pacers, which they lost by 29 points. And I don't know how long that's been up there. I don't know if they just did that recently, but they had that up there in the locker room. And it's always going to be funny to me now because they ended up losing this game 132 to 103. So you only put up that 29-point loss up there for motivation to lose by 29 points against Atlanta. So it's another playing game that they lose. And I don't believe that Charlotte has even seen the playoffs or let alone win a playoff game or series in a long time. I'm the last time I remember the Hornets were in the playoffs. Kevin Walker was still on the team. And that was probably the last year's Dwayne Wade, which was the team that probably knocked them away. And the last series win, like a playoff series win for Charlotte, came in, I believe, around 2002 or 2006. So that alone tells you that either Michael Jordan has to do something to bring this team over the top, because they're right there to make the playoffs. Of course, this playing is going to be an issue because they're going to keep on making mediocre teams. Hopefully, MJC is through that. But Charlotte is right there. Unfortunately, not this year for them, as Atlanta will go on to face the Cleveland Cavaliers at 7.30 on ESPN tonight. And that will be in Cleveland. So that'll be a really interesting game to look at as we get a preview after this next recap from the Wednesday games. The 9 versus 10 seed for the Western Conference. The New Orleans Pelicans win against the San Antonio Spurs. Another game that I have to say had a playoff mentality to it. The atmosphere looked great. The action on the court was phenomenal. Both teams are going at it, each other left to right. However, I just feel like the New Orleans Pelicans are on a hot streak right now. Bringing back Brandon Ingram, who ended up having 27 points and 11 and 19 from the field goal range. And then CJ McCollum. Talk about CJ, though, picking that team above its levels. 32 points in this game. Majority of his points coming off of back-breaking threes to stop Spurs runs. And the Spurs, DeJounte Murray, the all-star for that team, 
was 5-19 and for the field goal. So defense was phenomenal from this entire Pelican squad. They played great man defense. And they had a lot of guys out there that, I mean, they just look like blue-collar guys. You know, they're able to go after the ball, dive for it. I mean, they're really passionate the way they play in New Orleans. So I would love to see them coming up for that last game in the play-in tonight as they do play against the Los Angeles Clippers in Los Angeles. If they do win that game, I think it'll be super fun to see the Suns go against Brandon Ingram and that Pelican squad. And with that being said, that kind of gives us an idea of how we got here to Friday. So to recap, the seventh seed has been decided. The Brooklyn Nets take the Eastern Conference seventh seed as they go against the Boston Celtics on Sunday. And then for the Western Conference that belongs to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who will be taking on the Memphis Grizzlies coming up this week. Now we go into the games today, the last playing games of the season. It will be Atlanta going against the Cavaliers at 7.30 on ESPN. And then at TNT at 10 o'clock tonight, that will be the Clippers going against New Orleans Pelicans. And looking at right now, Cleveland, they're on a slow start. They're not playing great games. Garrett Allen is still gone and injured. Probably won't be coming back later on this season, let alone if they make the playoffs. I don't think he'll be back in time. Because in reality, whoever faces off in this game will still have to deal with Miami if they do win this one for the Eastern Conference. So Cleveland, I think for the best of them, they don't win this one. I mean, they've been really starting off games real slow offensively, haven't been really knocking any shots down. And then out of nowhere, Garland and then the bench gets involved in the second half of these games and they slowly make a way for a comeback, but they don't really complete it at the end just because I don't feel like they have any type of emphasis in the paint. So I really do not have faith in Cleveland winning this game against Atlanta. And I know that they're at home, but Atlanta has a great record on the road. Atlanta is specifically a team whose ball movement has just been improving. And that Gallinari, who's been taking over John Collins' spot as the four, has been playing phenomenal. And anything that also opens up the playbook. I mean, Atlanta could easily use the three-point shots on the wings, much more efficiency, much more efficient. I feel like with Collins, they had to go inside, and I don't feel like the inside ball is great for Atlanta, especially with Trey Young trying to do it off the screen and immediately bounce past it inside to the middle lane. I think that they open the playbook a lot with John Collins. I think they move the ball around to Hunter, and hopefully they get some more looks for Clint Capella because I don't know what happened to Clint. Clint, if you ask me, is definitely an underrated guy. He just hasn't been utilized yet. I mean, if Atlanta ends up putting him out there, you know, for the offense, I don't know if he has to make him work a little bit or use a little off screens, but if Atlanta uses Capella, he can really be a force. I mean, in the last game, he had 15 points and 17 rebounds against the Hornets for their play-in. 15 and 17. That's Andre Drummond and Detroit Piston numbers. You know what I mean? He could be a huge point for that team to at least make an emphasis on a couple of playoff matchups later on this season. So I think Atlanta does take that game. They're moving the ball very well. The offense looks great. And they're now adjusting to not having John Collins. To me, honestly, I think it's a better offense without John. I personally believe that. You know, you have more movement off ball. 
the screen game isn't really just based on John Collins going inside of a Trey Young bounce pass and moving the ball around afterwards. You know, they use a lot of the perimeter. You could put more movement on the wing for three-point. So I think that Atlanta does take that game in Cleveland. And then for the Western Conference to end off this episode, the Clippers hosting the New Orleans Pelicans and Paul George, which I believe I said before, but Paul George, who had 34 points in the playing game on Tuesday, he would not be here today for the Clippers' last or potential last game for the play-in. Apparently, he got on the safety protocol. Uh, they're not too positive if it is COVID or not. But right now, he will not be available for tonight's game against the Pelicans, which means that Reggie Jackson will probably be the priority of this offense. The Pelicans are going to eat that up alive. The Pelicans played great. They played well. And Valachunas, CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, they're not in slumps at all. They're doing well. It will be a real hard game for the Pelicans to lose. I'm going to say it as that. Not seeing anything against the Clippers. The Clippers have a great roster. As I said before, Reggie Jackson, Morris, you know, there's still offensive presence. I mean, Zubac can even give you something here and there. But I just feel like if you put them toe-to-toe right now, especially the way things are moving, the Pelicans should have that game. So what I'm predicting right now is that both games for the last play-ins, they're going to be upsets. To me, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but it's looking like it right now. It's two teams on the road with all the momentum going against a bunch of rosters that have missing players and some of them not even on a good shooting. I mean, they're not even shooting well. You know, I mean, Cleveland has Karis LeVert shooting horribly recently. And then for the Clippers, I mean, you know, besides Paul George, you know, we haven't heard much of Reggie Jackson since Reggie done that, you know, quick little street ball move on Russell Westbrook middle of the season. So it's, it's going to be interesting how this pans out, but I honestly feel like we're going to see a bunch of upsets on the road for the play in tournament. And those will be decided to see who will go against the first seed for the first seed of being Miami heat who play on Sunday against whoever that eight seed will be in the Eastern conference. And then of course, for the Western conference as well on Sunday, be facing off against whoever wins out against the Pelicans and the Clippers. And that will basically wrap up the NBA portion of this episode. And the thing I'll probably end off with right now, that's kind of outside the NBA. We kind of, you know, do things away from the NBA and then go back to real life. Uh, Probably something personal with me. I was actually, because, you know, I'm doing this podcast journey right now. You know, I only done a couple of episodes here with the courtside view. But I've actually joined a couple of podcasts, not only on basketball, but as well as on college sports, specifically those in South Florida. I have a couple of great broadcasting friends, which I made great connections with at FIU, which I'm not there currently anymore. But I would suggest to check out Miguel Paz on YouTube and his uh, broadcast he does, as well as his podcast and his demo reel and everything like that. Because it's really interesting. Also, he comes out with episodes almost bi-weekly. So it's something that's really recent. So I would suggest to check him out. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. And leave a good five stars for us if you liked it. And I want to thank you again for joining in. We'll talk to you guys back on Monday after the first few games of the first round. Thank you.